Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Well, welcome to Group Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the Executive Director of Small Groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, earlier this year, I received a phone call from a writer who was compiling some data about small groups and discipleships in churches across the United States. And it was just an interesting interview because he asked me some questions um, that kind of got me thinking. And he asked questions about, you know, where is discipleship happening in your church? Where is it not happening? Um, what is the goal of your small group's ministry? And how does that work? And I'm pretty sure that I answered most of the questions the way most of us would answer. Um, I included, you know, words that come from the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. I kept throwing in the word disciple, discipleship, uh, helping people become like Jesus, which is another way to talk about becoming a disciple. But then he asked me probably the most provocative question that I've been wrestling with, and I think all of us in ministry ask ourselves this frequently, um, and if you're not, you probably need to be, and the question is this, how do you, as the small group's pastor or director, know that people are being discipled through small groups? I mean, how do you know if it's happening? We want to believe it's happening, but then how do you really know if it actually is happening? Um, how do you measure that? What are the elements of that? Um, we all would agree that making disciples is the end goal, and that's, of course, our mandate from the Lord. But these are such critical questions for us as point leaders to explore and to pause and evaluate, are we making disciples in our small groups? Um, and what would that look like? So that is our topic today, and I'm so glad to have our discipleship expert and my friend Reed Smith on the program today. Thank you, Reed, so much for being on Group Talk. It's great being here today with you. Well, Reed has been equipping group leaders for effective discipleship making to, since 1996. Wow, almost 20 years. It's amazing because you look like it would only be five years, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, he was part of the Small Group Network from the very beginning, which is where we met. And he served as an air leader for the Northwest and then in South Florida in 2008. Um, that's when he took a role serving in the discipleship ministries at Christ Fellowship Church in Palm Beach, Florida, which currently has eight multi-sites and over 400 staff. So it is a large church. And Reed, now you're um, primarily on one campus now, right? I am. I'm located at our Royal Palm campus, which is the second largest of the campuses. Which say you only have, what, 10,000 people there? <laughs> Something like that? <laughs> so on any given weekend, we'll have on average 4,000 people attend our five services here, but we have about 6,000 that will rotate through on a monthly basis. Wow. And you've been in small groups almost the whole t um, two decades, so 20 years of lots of experience, which will be really helpful. Reed also serves churches as a pastor, consultant, trainer, and he's a contributing author for smallgroups.com and Lifeways Ministry Grid. Um, I used to read articles that Reed wrote uh, back in the day when I was a brand new small groups director. And he is not only one of the sharpest guys um, in small groups ministry, but also one of the nicest ones. And I have a quick story, Reed. I'm going to embarrass you telling a quick story about when we met. So we met, I think, about eight years ago um, at a small group network thing really early on through Steve Gladen. And doesn't it seem like Steve Gladen, like all roads lead, lead to Steve or through Steve or connect? Yes. 
<laughs> it's true. I think it's that whole kind of six degrees of separation. Instead of Kevin Bacon, it's, it's really Steve Clayton. Right. It's when true. it comes to small group land, it is. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we were at this small think tank get type of gathering. There was only like 25 people there, small group point leaders. And Steve and Saddleback were hosting us. And it was my first time in an event like this. I'd only been in small groups ministry for a little while. Um, and Steve, out of the blue, asks everyone in the room, hey, why don't you guys prepare and deliver a 10-minute talk on a topic related to small groups on video that we'll tape? <laughs> so um, I don't know if you remember this, read, but I was like completely freaking out. Um, but you and others in the room were barely even blinking. You were like going through your computers, looking for your best talk, thinking, you know, this is no problem. <laughs> Um, and I didn't have any talks in the can. I didn't even know what the heck I was going to do. So I go to Steve and I say, I can't do this. And Steve, of course, my mentor and friend tells me, no, you can and you will. <laughs> and so and like a good big brother um, in ministry, he kicks me in the butt and says, you go do this. And Reed saw me struggling. And um, we had just met the night before. We chatted about ministry. And he was so kind. Um, so I asked him for help. And he talked me off the ledge and was really gracious. Um, he sent me a bunch of articles that night. I had like one hour to prepare this thing um, and blog posts. And he just helped me put together a talk that I did on authenticity in groups, um, which by the grace of God was apparently well received, but it was very authentic, certainly, <laughs> since I did it this way. I do remember this, Carolyn. Yeah. So I was just panicking on the inside. So you're taking care of all the stress <laughs> for me, expressing that. I was experiencing it vicariously through you. So. Yeah. But we delivered. We delivered. We did. Uh, on the assignment that, that Steve spontaneously gave us that day. So I do remember. Yes. And after that, I was like, we became one of my favorite um, brothers in small groups ministry. Um, so it's an extra pleasure for me to have you on the program. All right, so let's talk discipleship, which is the heart of everything we do and everything yeah. that the church is about. Um, so, of course, all of us would agree that we want God to help us um, help our group members disciple one another and disciple people in our, in our areas. Um, yeah. But let's start with the definition. You know, when we talk about discipleship, People mean a lot of different things. Um, so how would you define discipleship? Sure. Great question. I, I, whenever I think of discipleship, I think of the Great Commission. And then I think of the combination of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The two obviously go hand in hand because as we're living out the Great Commission, what that looks like is we are loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, and, uh, and the one the one explanation of the Great Commission, which has always uh, stuck with me, uh, is something that I learned from an old professor at Fuller, which is where you're pursuing your master's degree, as I understand. Very, very slowly, yes. Yeah. And uh, Arthur Glasser, uh, a renowned missiologist at the time, I remember him explaining the Great Commission, um, it really sharing the transliteration of it in this way and saying, here's, here's really what Jesus was saying. He was saying, in your everyday going, you go, that was a command. And then you make disciples, that was a command, and, and the way that you do this is by baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And it's that last part of it which has, been a, it, which has always been special to me because that word teach in the Greek terrain is really a teaching by modeling. It's a doing life together. And really that was the command that Jesus gave to all of us as his followers, because as disciples, we're students and followers of Jesus. And the way that we follow him is we 
we live out the Great Commission. And what that looks like is we're loving on other people in the same way that Jesus did with us. So discipleship uh, really is the Great Commandment and the Great Commission in motion. Discipleship is evangelism and evangelism is discipleship. They're inextricably intertwined together. Yeah, and I love what you uh, your definition with the teaching piece of it. I think, unfortunately, over the years, I think some churches and some um, probably group life as well has taken that teaching piece to mean more um, informational yeah. than necessarily life on life. Um, so let's unpack that. So then, teaching others to obey those things. Um, there are some activities or some pieces that are really connected to that, right? Beyond just sitting and doing Bible study. It's it's true. And practically speaking, um, the really what I think that looks like, the way I've explained it to people in groups, is uh, they're going to be connecting with each other, they're going to be learning together, and they're going to be serving together. And uh, the strength or health of each one of those really affects the other. Uh, you can't just have one without the other. We need to be, there needs to be that fellowship. In fact, I, I even like to think of fellowship as um uh, as really as a spiritual discipline. We don't tend to think of it that way. No. Uh, it's so critical for us to be fellowshipping, to have that communion of the saints so that we can truly be growing in all the ways that Jesus uh, has has called and commanded us to together. And, of course, groups really create the ideal environment for uh, for us to exercise all of those one another's, to be connecting with each other uh, and uh, fellowshipping together. So you have that, but we also need to be very intentional in our time together about uh, learning, uh, diving into God's Word together, challenging one another, sharing perspectives, and encouraging one another in the faith. And then there's the serving piece to that. So we have the connecting, we have the learning, we have the serving. Serving uh, is really that that life-on-life application. It's oftentimes stepping outside of our comfort zones, right. and it's really you know bringing to life all of those things that we learn together in God's Word, that we learn together through those dynamic discussions that we have in our Bible studies and in our group life. Uh, but it's bringing it to life. And if we don't have that piece to it, uh, if there's not the practical outlets of us living it out together, then there's something that's going to get short-circuited in the group life. And you'll start to experience that, I think, in the group health, you know, not only the the impact of it on the group members, but also the impact of that group on the world around them. So connecting, learning, and serving. Uh, do you think there's some activities that like automatically qualify as discipleship and others that are like, I don't know, like stepchildren? Like, for example, okay, if you gather together to pray or Bible study, that seems like no brainer. Of course, these are discipleship activities. Yeah. Um, if you hang out and have a barbecue, go watch a movie together, play a board game, um, or just sit around having coffee, is yeah. that a discipleship activity? Um, you know, what, what qualifies uh, as a discipleship activity and what does not? Yeah, th- this is where I, I can't help but, uh, but steal a phrase from North Point. Uh, and <laughs> it's, I, I love the way that they put this, where a win for them is any movement toward Christ. Uh, and any one of those, those examples that you just shared, Carolyn, could be something that would be catalytic for somebody in terms of helping them move closer to Jesus. Maybe it's one step, maybe it's 20, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, there are things maybe that for us as believers uh, come immediately to mind that, uh, 
that are more that are ideal in terms of helping us grow in our relationship with Jesus. We think of you know prayer, we think of Bible study, we think of those sorts of things. But uh, but depending on who the person is and where they're at, you know, just being able to sit down with somebody who's a little bit further along in their walk with Jesus than they are for a cup of coffee, you know, or solitude or worship or any one of these these sorts of uh, practices, spiritual practices, whether well-known or not known very well at all. You know, there's God uses anything and everything, I think, to help us grow closer to Him. And I think we can, too, uh, as leaders and point leaders in group life. And, and that's where I think it's, it's, it, it behooves us to know who it is that God has placed in our group. What are those love languages in our midst? You know, what are those, uh, where are people at? And what are those things that resonate with them and are really going to help them uh, to, to take those, take that one next step that's going to help them experience greater intimacy and depth in their walk with Jesus. Yeah, I think that idea of process, that step thing, is so critical. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it can get, get kind of legalistic, right, Reed? I mean, we can say, you know, have a checklist. This qualifies, this doesn't qualify. Um, but maybe I've come to look at it as almost an intentional, like a heart issue. So say you have coffee and all you do is talk about the latest football game the whole time. Um, and there's other stuff you feel like you know God wants to bring up some more interesting conversations that are closer to the heart, maybe about parenting, about marriage. Yeah. Say you get together yeah. with someone in your small group. Um, but instead, you don't approach those topics because that's, that's more uh, vulnerable and requires more uh, intentionality. And instead, you just kind of chit-chat about the ball game or about TV or something. Right. That doesn't necessarily move people forward, right? So it's, is it just the, then the intentionality of when leaders get together with their members and members get together with each other that um, they have as their focus, something that draws us closer to God and to one another? Yeah. Well, I think uh, the key word that you just said is intentionality. Um, and, uh, you know, again, kind of the draw from John Maxwell, leadership is influence, right? Right. And so, so if, if we are being intentional about influencing people that take their next step in their walk with Jesus, then we can find ourselves in the most mundane of situations. Mm-hmm. And God can use us to help propel that person uh, toward greater intimacy in, in their walk with Jesus, or maybe even to cross that line of faith for the first time and come to know Him. And so not surprisingly, like for us here at, at Christ Fellowship in, in Palm Beach, Florida, uh, we, we have a, uh, we've adopted more of a, a free market small group model here. You know, so there's a diversity of entry points into the community life of uh, the church here. And, and not surprisingly, some of the more effective groups evangelistically are the ones that are have a shared interest sure. in them. I, I, what comes to mind is a there is a, a women's walking group. And it, <laughs> I need that. <laughs> this group has grown rapidly in a very short period of time. I just hosted a big Connect event uh, here at our Royal Palm campus. And uh, and not surprisingly, there were two groups uh, that had the greatest number of signups. One was a women's fitness group and one was a women's walking group. And uh, But women's walking group is the one that has really struck a chord with many ladies, not only because they see it as a great opportunity to connect together, uh, but it's also, God has really used this as a great opportunity for them just to be able to go across the street to their neighbor and say, right. hey, I, you know, we, I go walking with a group of ladies from my church every Saturday morning. Would you like to join us? You know, so there's not, there's no hidden agenda. It's just very natural. They and don't do course, a Bible study while they walk. <laughs> 
<laughs> they do pray. They do pray, but uh, and they they and they include a devotional on the front or tail end. But otherwise, it really is just natural, relational, and and to to your point too, um, discipleship is is really an organic process, uh, right? It's not linear. We can't we can't prescribe. I think as leaders, we need to give some direction. Sure. Um, but but we can't be too prescriptive with it, uh, and that's where I think it does come down to a conversation. It's a very uh, a heart level sort of conversation to again kind of get a sense as to where where is this person, what needs to happen in their life that's going to help them to draw closer to Jesus, because there could be unforgiveness that somebody's sure. harbored. There could be something that's going to prevent them from really being able to grow in their walk with Jesus that needs to be dealt with immediately. Uh, and again, so it's it, the, the, the journey looks different for everybody, but what isn't different is this fact, you know, that it does, A, take intentionality, uh, but it also, uh, B, absolutely requires relationship. And that's what we see throughout the scriptures. Right. And that's the secret sauce really for small groups and discipleship. Because small groups, by its very structure, um, is set up to be relationally. um, It's inherently relational. You really can't get around it. That's the whole point, is to build these relationships. So in that way, it seems to be one of the best environments where discipleship can happen. Um, So if you're, you know... There's lots of places, and we always say this in, in churches, there's lots of places where discipleship could happen, but what makes small groups unique um, as a conduit or environment for discipleship to happen? Yeah. Uh, well, groups, I believe, are the ideal environment for biblical community to grow. Uh, I mean, now, there is a sense of community that people experience when we're in the larger setting of a worship center, you know, for example. Um, but but the degree to which you're able to know and be known, you know, love and be loved and, and really work out those, you know, live out those relationships in all the ways that Jesus has commanded us uh, is, is quite limited, to be honest with you, in a weekend service for an hour, hour and a half. Um, but when, when we're in a smaller circle with others, uh, that's where it is really more of that iron sharpens iron, life on light, life uh, encouraging of one another that's going to help us to be accountable uh, to the commitments that we've made before the Lord and encourage one another in a very specific way, you know, that will enable us to take those next steps that we need to in our walk with Jesus. And again, to kind of to borrow a phrase from North Point, um, <laughs> uh, and I'm not being paid by Willits. By I, was, I was just wondering, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but one phrase that, we, that, we, that we've adopted from them is that circles are better than rows. Yes. And so that's I, I borrowed that one too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And that's one of the things we really like to instill within people in our front-end assimilation process that we call the journey, mm-hmm. which is formatted in groups purposely so that we can begin to instill the DNA, you know, of relationships in the discipleship process with people here at Christ Fellowship. And we really, um, uh, we really just beat the drum of relationships with them and talk about how, hey, rows are important. That's the temple courts. Uh, but we believe that you are going to grow the most in a circle. And so you've got to have the combination of the both of both the temple courts and the house to house. And what that looks like for us is 
groups. And, uh, and so it's all really a setup to help people take that next step where they can plant themselves in a group which really provides the soil where we can sink our roots and our relationship with Christ. And the groups piece, I think, has become even more critical in the last few years as you know, people feel more disconnected, even with um, the influx of social media and all these other ways of connecting people. I recently read an article from um, a leadership secular magazine that talked about how we're so connected and yet uh, the most isolated and disconnected. Yeah. Uh, and you can have that in a church. It doesn't matter if it's a church of 50, you can be uh, not known and not allow yourself to be known, not be vulnerable, um, as well as a church of, you know, 5,000. It, it's really about creating environments where people can feel safe. Um, and groups are unique for that. And the other piece, I think that over time, you know, as we are more disconnected as a culture, um, it takes more time to build trust. It does. And so if you actually can spend time together hanging out at the barbecue, um, and unplug time. I loved how you said earlier that fellowship is such a critical piece because sometimes we think fellowship is kind of like the warm, fuzzy, and not as valuable as, you know, deep theological study. But yeah. people have to want to be there. So that's when, you know, the relationship, the fun factor ends up being really critical because people, that buys you time to be in people's lives long enough to hold them accountable, long enough to see what God's doing in there. Yeah. Um, so the, the, some of those pieces, anything, other stuff come to mind? Well, I mean, I, I think one of the first things, my mind just went right to the Nicene Creed when you were, you know. Oh, yes. Well, now those. we're going highbrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we moved off of North Point. We're going really highbrow now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is uh, the communion of the saints, yes. though, you know, and there's a reason why that's, that's in the Creed, and that's so critical. And I think that, that uh, particularly in North America. You know that that uh, has has been downplayed, and and that's one of the reasons why I like to bring that back more to the forefront and talk about it more as a primary spiritual discipline for us because it's not an optional thing. You know, it's not the whipped cream on top of the Sunday. I mean, it's 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 the whole deal. You know, and and Jesus intended it that way, and and I that's why I think you know one example I like to point out in the New Testament is we see over um, two hundred and sixty some odd occurrences of the word disciple we're talking about discipleship of disciple uh, in the New Testament and and if and as you drill down into the original language you realize that almost every single occurrence of that word when it's referencing something like an actual event not a parable or anything like that but an actual event uh, it was always in the plural form oh wow but there's only one instance where it was referencing an actual event when it appears in the singular form. And that's when Peter was denying Christ. Mm. So what does that say about the importance of discipleship as a community right. activity? Uh, it's Discipleship really is communal by nature. Uh, we're, we can't follow Jesus alone. And, I, and I, in a way, I think in the Western mindset in particular, we almost see that as, as an option. Mm-hmm. And in, in the minds of some, a preferable option, and because the greatest enemy uh, to, to building those kind of relationships that are necessary for us to experience the fullness of life that Jesus wants us to have is time. Time is the greatest enemy. For sure. Uh, you know, to relationships. But that's, that's, actual, that's, that's an essential. It's a must. Yeah, I think it's time. And my second would be, well, time, okay, because busyness is a huge factor. And there'll be maybe fear would be the second yeah. one because it, it's, it's risky. 
it is risky, and you know, a truth and truth and trust go hand in hand. You know, it, you you need to be able to trust the people that you're with to be able to tell the truth and have the truth told about yourself <laughs> to you too. You know, and this is where I think I mean one of the keys I think to being an effective group leader is, is being authentic being real and that takes that takes a courageousness it takes an intentionality but there are things i think as leaders that we can purposely do to cultivate an environment where biblical community can grow and and an essential ingredient to that absolutely is going to be authenticity one one quote that uh that has always stuck with me from john ortberg wow (laughs) now we've gone back to california (laughs) (laughs) northern california there okay because uh he talks about uh in in his book um, oh shoot, we're frozen. Uh, we 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 tend to wear masks and manage our faces, you know, and and uh, and and he says the irony of masks is that we wear, although we wear them to make people think well of us, uh, they're only really drawn to us when we take them off, and and that's so true, you know, because when you think about it, if you're going to take what little precious time that you have to spend it with others, especially if it's people that you're just beginning to know. You want to be able to be in a place and to be investing your time with people uh, that where where you can be yourself. Yeah. I mean, why else would you want to take, you know, more time to <laughs> be in, a, in another environment to manage more relationships where you're just having to wear a mask and not be your true self, but to be able to be authentic yourself, to be able to be the recipient of transparency and, and even the giver of it and be loved in return, I think is one of the greatest gifts uh, of being planted in a circle with other believers, because that's where we can fully receive the love of Christ, whereas we wouldn't otherwise be able to if we didn't have those authentic Relationships and those authentic relationships, um, I think, is probably maybe the primary one of the primary indicators of a group that is engaged in discipleship. Yeah. Uh, which leads to my next question. So, if you're trying to evaluate your groups and trying to see, okay, is discipleship happening? What other indicators? We authenticity is a huge one. We both completely agree yeah. on that. What are some other indicators that you'd be looking for? Uh, well, I'll admit, I'm gonna, uh, I'll share four. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you right off the bat, they're very, they're, they're very difficult to measure, you know. But, but the thing that I always, um, uh, you know, remind group leaders of is that, you know, when it comes to measuring the success of a group, and there is a direct correlation between measuring kind of, you know, uh, how a group is, how a group leader feels like he or she is succeeding, you know, and. Um, uh, and what's taking place in the group, and and what what I tell them to look for uh, is is do you do you sense that people are growing in their love for God? Are they growing in their love for their neighbor, loving one another? Uh, are they growing in a, with a greater love for the Scriptures, for God's Word, and are they growing with a that gut wrenching love for the lost? Mm-hmm. So a growing love for God, for others, for the scriptures, and for the lost. And if we don't see that moving up and to the right, you know, for people, the more time that they spend in a group, then I would say that there's probably something that's askew. 
uh, in the group life. And, and that's where I would probably be looking back to, you know, some of those activities we touched upon earlier. Like, is that, does that group have a balance, you know, of, of connecting, learning and serving are, uh, and serving together? Are they all just huddling up? Right. Uh, and maybe closing themselves off from new life God wants to bring to the group or working through them in a life-giving way to other people. Because if things start to become stagnant, um, then, uh, then, then the group, the group is going to stall out in their own spiritual growth. So, uh, and that's where I think, um, you know, Steve Gladen, uh, put it so brilliantly. I knew we had to land there at some point. <laughs> you know, it's like we were talking about earlier, the whole six degrees of separation. It all comes back to Steve, but seriously, you know, Steve is, uh, is, is such an amazing mentor to so many. And, uh, he is, uh, 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 he, he's got such a great sense of humor and such great wisdom, and uh, and there and one of the insights that that I've gleaned from him is the importance of balance of all the different activities that we look at uh, in group life, and and so any anyone who's been a listener on group talk for some time undoubtedly you know has has become uh, at least semi familiar with the five. <laughs> You know, and uh, but but looking at how we can make sure that we balance all of those things out in our group life, so that there is the uh, the fellowship, and there's the discipleship, and the ministry, and the evangelism, and the worship, and we see all of those things coming to life. And so that would be one of the first things I would uh, invite a group leader to look back upon if there was any question about um, how discipleship is happening in a group. And what about the converse of that? So let's flip that around. So what are some indicators, Reed, for for you um, if discipleship is not happening in a group? What are some dangerous signs you would look for? Well, well, one of the uh, one of the the complaints that that I've heard arise from um, from a number of groups. Uh, and it's and it's been a, it's been a pattern I picked up on, and sure enough, when I dig a little bit deeper, it oftentimes, not surprisingly, uh, does end up becoming a le- it, it is a leadership issue, uh, but it points to some deficit um, that a group is experiencing in these areas of connecting, learning, and serving together. And and um, uh, but it's the it's the complaint of uh, we just I need something deeper. You know, there's a self focused or self-centeredness there's a scent there's a um there's a feeling that uh and that with the particular curriculum maybe that's being recommended or they're going through isn't deep enough <laughs> them, right i've heard that one yes <laughs> and, uh, and so and 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 one of the things i i've challenged group leaders with is um you know that is is that the depth of a group really is not determined so much by uh, the content of curriculum, as it is the really the devotional life and and uh, and leadership of yes. the person that's facilitating that group. You can take uh, you can take the great commandment, uh, and you can go quite deep with it. You know, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and at the end of the day, um, our 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 understanding of that is only going to go so far if uh, unless we're applying it. You know, and it's in that application that we really encounter Jesus uh, at whole new levels. And oftentimes, not surprisingly, when there is more of a, a sense that I'm not being fed or that this group isn't deep enough or the, you know, the content isn't deep enough for us as a group, um, there's, there's, there's an application uh, problem. 
uh, with with the group. Uh, there's an internal focus uh, issue, which is another indicator maybe that discipleship is not happening in the group. So when a, when a group becomes um, inter- inwardly focused, overly inwardly focused, there's seasons where necessarily sure. oh, there might be group members going through some things and you do become a little bit more inwardly focused. Uh, but if it remains that way, then the group, I think, becomes more of a, a swamp. And I think all Overall, it's intended really to be more of a stream. And if it stays that way too long, I think one of the byproducts of that is that there's internal squabbling uh, that yes. ends up arising within the group. There's problems that end up taking place uh, when a group is too inwardly focused. And I think one other indicator that discipleship isn't happening is is if a group is uh, starts to um, – isolate itself off from the larger community of groups, you know, with the church that it's a part of. And that could be maybe a resistance uh, to new ideas, new initiatives. There's something that just seems like they're kind of stuck, you know. Uh, There's not an openness, not only to members, but even the leadership of uh, the leadership of of uh, uh, of of the pastors of the church, and that's where it can become dangerous. Uh, but more often than not, I, I just see that the Holy Spirit takes care of that. Happens, <laughs> and and the group, uh, you know, just ends up uh, fading, fading out with its energy and fizzling out ultimately. Uh, but those are some indicators, maybe, that there isn't a healthy, rich balance uh, of group life because group life, by nature, really should be multifaceted. You know, there should be all these different elements that we've talked about and celebrated with the five purposes. Wow. Okay. You've given us so much to think about right there. Um, and I forgot to mention at the top of the broadcast that we're going to do a two-part with Reed. So this is going to conclude part one. Um, and I'm just dying to pick up Part some of what you just said and unpack that. So we'll do that in part two as we continue our conversation with Reed on discipleship. Um, but for this broadcast, I want to thank you, Reed, for part one and um, just kind of remind you to connect. That small group ne- uh, network has huddles and you can connect with pastors in your geographical area. Reed is part of the huddle in South Florida. And so you can connect with him. You can also go online to smallgroupnetwork.com and find the one closest to you. Um, you can connect with Reed on Facebook at Reed Smith and or LinkedIn um, with Reed Smith. It's pretty simple. And you can in- interact with him on our small group network uh, Facebook page. I've seen him on there at times and you can ask him lots of questions there. So thank you for listening to Group Talk. Um, we will uh, check in with you next time as we continue this conversation with Reed on discipleship and small groups. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.